Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're going to talk about the Enneagram. We're going to begin with this initial episode by talking about what it is, what's it all about, why is it important to know what our Enneagram type is. Perhaps you've heard of the Enneagram before. The Enneagram comes from the Greek word ennea, which means nine, because there are nine types within the Enneagram. And joining me today to discuss the various types of the Enneagram and all the component parts of it are Brandon Hurlbert, who's a PhD candidate in Old Testament at Durham University. How's it going, Brandon? Going great, John. And Dr. Josh Carroll, who has a PhD from the University of Aberdeen and is Life Group's pastor at Fellowship Dallas. How's it going, Josh? What's up, John? Good to see you. And Reverend Daniel Parham, who is Assistant Director of Undergraduate Retention and Success at Biola University and an elder at Gospel Memorial Church in Long Beach, California. How's it going, Daniel? Going well. All right. So let's dive into the Enneagram. Let's begin by talking about the various types, the various nine types that make up the Enneagram, walking through them in clusters of three, which are known as the intelligence centers. We're going to begin with the body or the gut intelligence center. This is uh, Brandon here. And um, yeah, the the first uh, number uh, begins with eight, actually, rather than one, which is kind of confusing, but that's just how it kind of ends up working out the best. Uh, But the eights are known as the challengers. Uh, They are typically they're the type of people who are the CEOs. They are the go get They are uh, going to come into a room, know what needs to be fixed, and they're going to be the ones that are going to fix it. Now, sometimes that can come off as very brash or sometimes they might, they might seem mean, but in reality, uh, eights are actually uh, really concerned with uh, issues of justice. They really care uh, extremely well for their friends. And typically, the, the way they care and the way they show love to one another is by making certain that things are right and making them perform better. And th- that's just how they uh, show their love and affection. But sometimes it might, fa- it might come across as cold and calculating. But in, in reality, um, they're, they're very concerned uh, with the way things uh, are, are supposed to work. Following that is the type nine, which is known as the peacemaker. And it's kind of funny that they are right next to each other, and there's a reason for that. But uh, type nines, um, yeah, they're peacemakers. They are the ones that are going to uh, try to avoid conflict uh, at all costs, uh, sometimes to the detriment of them, their own being and self. But nines are particularly concerned with caring for others as well, uh, and they want to do so by really um, uh, understanding uh, both sides of of the argument. They are trying to. Uh, avoid conflict and kind of create peace by making sure that there is no conflict. Following that is a uh, type one, uh, which is what I am, uh, which is a perfectionist or a reformer. Now they are also the ones who uh, typically will walk into the room and kind of know immediately what needs to change, but differently than, than an eight, they're, they're not normally the ones who are going to uh, create and uh, do the change. They are the ones who notice it, and they get really frustrated by it, and they internalize a lot of that anger and frustration that they feel. Oftentimes, they can um, not only notice things that's really wrong in the world, but they're kind of like the, the perfectionist. So in, in an unhealthy sense, a one can you know, turn those, those critical, the, the critical thinking skills they have, turn it inward on themselves, and actually 
begin to criticize themselves that anything they do is just not going to be good enough or they could have done it better. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, inner talk going on. And so if you think that uh, a, a type one is being critical of you, you know, you should just think, oh, imagine what must be going on in their brains while they're criticizing themselves. So all three of these are concerned with justice and peace. And when there is injustice and when there is confrontation, they actually respond in anger. They, they internalize that they know that something is wrong and they feel it in their gut. And that's and then they respond differently, but they're all feeling somewhat of the same thing. Um, and they're just trying to figure out what's the best way to resolve these feelings of injustice. All right. Well, uh, the heart feeling center is kind of the three types, uh, one of which I most identify with, two, three, and four. Uh, and kind of just give you context there, these uh, two is the helper. Uh, and two is kind of like the, the heartwarming, welcoming, you know, people pleasing type of person, right? The person is going to welcome you into their home. It's going to pamper you, care for you. It's going to be on your side in all ways. Uh, and at the same time, they're going to be more unselfish and just unconditional in their approach towards one another, right? Um, and really kind of the, the driving motivating factor for that is they want to be loved and they want to express their feelings towards, towards uh, others. And they also like the, the feeling and the need of uh, uh, being appreciated and also needed. Uh, and so that really is almost like a stoking of the flame, right? They continue to help and they also benefit from being, uh, being the helper. And so they move towards that more. So we'll talk a little bit about kind of the stressors and, 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 and those elements, but that's kind of the basic like core center of, of two being a helper. You jump into the three, three is, uh, where I most identify with, and, and that is the achiever. And so this is uh, an, an element of like am, being ambitious, gregarious, and going after your dreams and goals with a, a, a vigorating factor that probably would tire most people out. This is the person who is very highly driven, but highly driven uh, very externally. So you're going to see this push from one step to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, they, they may be competitive. Um, they may be outwardly competitive against others, uh, or they might be more like myself that's a little bit more internally competitive. So I don't find myself competing against other individuals, but I find myself always competing against myself. So what's, what's the next thing that I need to accomplish or the, the, the next thing that I can do alongside other things? Uh, so there's a tendency to have quite a bit happening at the same time in terms of tasks to be completed, achievements to be accomplished, and, and having that level of competitiveness uh, that's there. One driving factor of that is the, the driving factor of value and worth. Uh, and a uh, three would kind of revel in one, not just doing something, but actually achieving and accomplishing something. And then also receiving, I think, affirmation from that that they actually have achieved and accomplished the thing that they set their mind to. And so that drives them. That's like a motivating factor for them. When you think about the feeling aspect of, of threes, threes can tend to suppress their feelings for the sake of pushing forward. And so you'll, you'll see the elements of, of a three really being unsettled or unbothered when someone disrupts them in, in the midst of the work that they're trying to do or accomplish because it slows down the pace in which they're trying to accomplish this, this work. So it's not just about accomplishment. It's also about the pace and the, and, and the rapid succession of accomplishments. Uh, and so that, that element is also a part uh, of that experience. 
when you go to the four, um, when we're thinking about feelings, a very much person who might have a clear sense of self-awareness, uh, where a three, a three will probably put that to the side uh, and say, like, the work needs to get done. Uh, and it's not really about me processing how I feel in that work, uh, where a four will probably really center themselves and have a clear understanding of why they approach the work they do. Uh, and they're vulnerable, right? Uh, they are, uh, they, they're able to embody their lives. But sometimes when you are more hardline in the feeling category, you could sway either way. So you can go from being very much self-aware to being uh, self-indulgent and, and uh, almost taking pity upon yourself. Uh, so seeing that element, one of their fears is kind of that they have no identity, right? So uh, to really stand out and have a clear understanding of self uh, helps to fight against um, that that context of not knowing wh who they are and what they are and what significance do they play. Not necessarily tied to the threes level of significance in terms of achievement, um, but in just terms of ultimate value and, and personhood in that in that sense. Uh, so they're expressive. You know, they 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 have a clear understanding of their own embodiment and self, uh, and they they're transformative in how they have their experiences in in the way that embodies like who they are as individual being um, and so those those are kind of the feeling areas the two three four uh, and all of them in some way are fighting against somewhat of a shame or uh, you know a, a lack of worth and value in that space but they they tend to spread themselves out in different ways so the last section of intelligence centers that we're talking about is the head intelligence center and these are people that are just kind of process the world through their brain, through the intellectual. They try to control their environment, control the world by thinking, and, uh, and also try to protect themselves uh, through thought processes and things like that. So the, in the head intelligence center, we have five, sixes, and sevens, and they're all pretty unique. Fives are known as the observers. They're kind of the introverted type scholars that you, type, that you think of when you see somebody that doesn't have a lot of uh, social energy. It has to kind of parse it out uh, little by little. Um, has to go back and uh, revive by doing different disciplines and things like that. Um, they they look at the world and they see it as chaotic and they want to control it. So they try to control it through these intellectual processes. The withdrawal to do that into their own kind of private world, and it's it's people that are just uh, have more difficulty engaging socially or in a real complex task where you're working with a bunch of different teams. Uh, they're characterized as people that are kind of homebodies. Uh, you know, these things all aren't negative. They're the way different people are, are uh, wired. Um, they have a rich mental world, which is you can, I, I've known fives that can just sit there and process, 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 and you can all be hanging out and they're all by themselves processing something. But it's usually rich and it's usually when they do speak up, there's deep wisdom to it. Um, they compartmentalize everything um, and try to try to take life in intellectual sections and they bite off a bit in, a bit as, as they go. They are really concerned with competency and making sure everything's really well thought through. Sixes are another matter too. Sixes are known as the people that have the fear aspect of them. They're known as the devil's advocates. They're known as the people that are always questioning. They're known as people that try to avoid danger, that try to 
there's a couple different, there's two types of sixes actually in reality. There's one that steps into danger and just confronts it, but they're still fearful. And then there's one that tries to do build everything they can up ahead of time to avoid danger. The worst case scenario, doomsday prepper type people. The world is a dangerous place to sixes and they use their intellect and their perception to build safety structures around them and then step into those safety, safety structures and in battle. Um, they're always scanning, they're always looking around, they're always thinking worst case, they're always saying what if, what if, what if. Sixes can be characterized by suspicion, lack of trust, looking at other people's motives, always assuming the worst, but they're also, they also have this beautiful way of looking at something and breaking it down and understanding how to get through real difficult times. They become authority when it, when it comes to times of chaos because they've already thought all that stuff through. They've already uh, mentalized processes and how to get through things. And they're usually responsible, uh, but they take on too much responsibility sometimes, but they're usually the responsible people that have everything thought through. And they're known as the people that you can turn to during craziness. So sevens are the ones that is the one that I identify with the most. I am a seven and sevens are known as the dreamers, kind of the, the enthusiasts, the, the people that are always uh, trying to make something cool happen or trying to have an experience that uh, will be unique and trying to create experiences for people around them. They are the Peter Pans of the world, always the kind of guys that are saying, follow me, let's have fun, let's do this. Uh, some of the things I don't think about are consequences to their actions. Uh, sponta spontaneity is a, is a thing that sevens are highly prized for, but also uh, criticized for at the same time. And sitting in pain and suffering and dealing with things uh, is difficult for a seven. Sevens would rather say, hey, we'll just don't worry about that. Uh, oh, I don't want feedback. I don't want criticism. You know, I'm, I'm above all the haters type thing. They're constantly just trying to be on the move. and Sevens don't sit long enough sometimes to actually deal with the pain, suffering, and the joy that can come with that, the deep joy that can just well up when you do deal with those kind of different things. They're usually uh, spontaneous, like I said before. They have difficulty making commitments because a commitment is a trap for a seven sometimes. And so uh, sevens, I know, personally, you feel boxed in when things are, are out of your control. So sevens are always trying to mentalize what could be the coolest part of anything. Uh, but when the, the bad part of that experience or the things that start lagging on you and wearing on you starts to just push in, sevens don't sit with that and, and try to figure out what's going on there in their hearts and their minds. They move on really quickly. So there's that fear of, of authenticity and being real that's, that's really prevalent in a seven. Yeah, thanks you guys for that that rundown on the nine types. You know, I, I like one of the things that's often said in Enneagram conversations, which is when you're really learning about this for the first time and you're and you're wondering, okay, which type might I be or which type might I be most dominant in? It's really the one that hurts the most. That is that that is the one that is probably your dominant type and, and and thinking about how the enneagram goes there right so to speak right it really it really forces you to confront some of these um deeper fears and 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 motivations that don't come out in a lot of the other quote unquote you know personality tests one of the reasons why i particularly like the enneagram 
But it's interesting too, because Enneagram, we say that there are nine types, but it's almost like there's 18 types because of this factor that I want to talk about now, which is the wings. Let's say a little bit about the wings and how the wings inform these nine types. What, what is this uh, idea of, of wings in the Enneagram? So John, the, the, wings are, the wings are your adjacent type. So I'm a seven, so I'm a seven with, the, my two wings are six and eight. And you have a dominant wing type and that kind of, that kind of informs how you perceive the world, how you tackle different things, how you walk into situations. And it also gives you pushback also too in, in an interesting way. So if I'm a seven with an eight wing, which, is, which I am, I have this spontaneity, I have this party guy type thing, but then the eight is the advocate. And so the eight part of it tempers that or in certain situations, my desire to experience something will get rolled in with the thing that I'm an advocate for. And so it just kind of shapes how you view the world. So there's usually one dominant type. You have two wings and you access them in different situations and in different places in your life, but usually one type is dominant. Yeah, I'm a seven with with a six wing. And like you said, that kind of pursuit of fun and spontaneity, which is characteristic of the seven, like you said, that's tempered by the eight for you often. For me, it's tempered by the six. So for me, because the six is about security and these sorts of things, for me, it's let's have all the fun, but let's do it as safely as possible. It's a very tame seven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think... Um, the wing, like I think if you're just getting into uh, the Enneagram, there's so much terminology here that can be really helpful, uh, but at times be really confusing. And so I think sometimes the wings can really confuse people. So it's one thing to note with the Enneagram is that it's about motivations and not actions. So it's not about, it's not about what you do. It's about why you do the certain things that you do. Many times uh, different people will act the same way, but they actually do so for vastly different motivations. Um, and so I think it's really important to understand with the wings is that you, you might do the action of, a, like for me, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a one wing two. So I, um, sometimes I'll do the action of a two. Like I am really caring and I, and I try to help people. And sometimes I help people too much. And then I get uh, my, my, my schedule fills up. And, and then I feel bad if I want to say no, but then I feel, you know, whatever. But the motivation for me is not that I I mean, I do want to help people, but my motivation is not truly wanting to help people uh, so that I'll be liked. It's actually you know, the right thing to do, right? If, you, if I want to be a good person, which is what the core motivation for a one is, I want to be, a, a, you know, a good person helps people. So I, I, I kind of sometimes will act like a stereotypical two, but my motivation is actually centered in the, in, in the one, the type one category. So one of the other things I really enjoy about the Enneagram is that it's not static. It doesn't just tell you, for example, oh, hey, you're an ENFJ, like the Myers-Briggs might, right? What the Enneagram does is it actually provides a more holistic picture because we're not always on, so to speak, right? And the Enneagram actually takes account of those things. And I think it'd be great if we could just kind of overview how that kind of works. In Enneagram speak, it's sort of, movements into health or movements into stress. Sometimes it's called integration and disintegration. Let's say a little bit about that. So when you, when you look at the Enneagram, the diagram, it's just a bunch, it looks like a bunch of lines, right? Just a bunch of lines all over the place. And 
kind of cultic and, and weird. But what John you're talking about is is how you can take a certain Enneagram number and trace a line back to another number. So in times of health, certain numbers go certain directions, and in times of stress, they go other directions. So I can I can recognize in my own life when I'm a seven, my line of stress or disintegration goes down to a one, but then I pick up and I start acting out of all the bad characteristics of the one. So the non the healthy stuff. So my my example is I'll be working and I'll get stressed out and I'll go try to control everything. If I if I'm out of control in some areas or if I'm can't kind of grasp something that I'm trying to do and, and mentally process and things like that, I'll go out and I'll just start, did you do your chore? Did you do it perfectly to the to my boys or I will try to control my surroundings or situations in an unhealthy procrastinating way. And it's, it's things you go to when you're stressed out. And the, the beautiful thing about the Enneagram is as you start delving into it, you look at who you are and then you look at the masks that you've built up. And then you look at how out of the internal motivations that you have and the things you're actually just kind of gives you this emotional intelligence and this ability to see, oh, I'm a seven. And oh yeah, I do that in stress. And it gives you a pathway to start thinking through it and really uh, the, in the spiritual formation aspect of it, disciplines to start praying through it and letting God speak into the fact that you are heading about this in a healthy way and helping you to start recognizing and integrating uh, formational health in who you are. You know, kind of touching in on even my type and being type three and kind of the, the two realms that you can go in either stress uh, or in growth or integration or dis- disintegration for, for three. And as, as, as we're describing these types, we're saying that they're nuanced, right? That there, there's not a, a rigidity in terms of how that might manifest itself. Uh, but for three, a three, uh, and I, I can see myself even in this, when a three has so much stacked against them, uh, and they're pressing in and, and it becomes stressful, they, they can tend to lean into a nine in terms of their stress and really kind of just blow the stack over, right? Like, I have all these things, I have all these people, I have all this commitment. Uh, I'm striving to get all things done and to do them well. And I, I mean, I, I would say in the midst of this pandemic, like uh, probably a lot of threes have felt this tension. It's like, man, I would just want to become empathetic and like, let me lay on my couch let me not do any of this stuff. Just say, let, let it go, um, you know, because it's just too much to bear. And so you kind of just become disengaged uh, in moments, in, 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 in that stressful moment. But in that growth moment, um, you kind of lean into six and you become even more collaborative. You might have internal motives towards that, but you become more collaborative, more in, uh, synergizing in that space, uh, and you really commit it to others. Um, so it, it shows kind of even in the variance of like what health and and what lack of health looks like in those ranges and in those points of stress, what what it might flesh itself out to be, or in that point of like growth uh, that you're leaning in, saying I'm still moving forward, but I'm also moving forward cooperatively versus the the stressor side. It says I, yeah, I, there's too much against me, and so I just disengage and and um, almost push away all things that I normally would like walk in in the framework of my personality within the three um, sense. So you kind of see the, the, the shadow side of, of what that might look like. And I, I think that's great. I, and I think, what, again, to recapture, it's not about behavior. 
right? Like Daniel, you've been talking about motivation, like internal motivations. And so like John was saying, I can look at my Myers-Briggs and I'm an ENTP and I can, people can predict behaviors from that. But as a, as a growth tool and a spiritual formation tool, the Enneagram gives you that, that self-awareness, helps you step into it, and also gives you a pathway to walk into it. And that's, that's pretty cool as compared to any other thing out there, especially when you bring God into the picture and hear his voice in that and integrate discipline. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I found being a one an interesting experience. It's the only experience I know, but it's an interesting one. Um, and so during times of stress, and I, I think one thing to note is that we all have stressful situations and we're all going to respond to stress differently. And how we respond to stress, we can do that in a healthy way and we can do that in an unhealthy way. Uh, and so these numbers on the Enneagram, when it says they're going to stress, it doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. That just in this time of stress, you're going to act a bit differently. Uh, and you could do that healthily or unhealthily. And so for me, uh, as a one, I'll go to four in stress. There's a lot of things that I see in the world that are wrong, in my opinion, that are the wrong. And I, I, I feel them deep down in my gut that they're wrong. And I want to change them. But sometimes there's too many of them. And so in an unhealthy time, I can go under stress, go into a four and essentially become this like hopeless, poetic, you know, romantic, you know, woe is me. And I just internal and I just like no one understands the burdens that I have been placed on me. And like it's just it's really bad. And then I end up not doing anything. And I don't actually I feel all these things now. So I see all these things. I internalize them as anger and resentment. And then as I move into a four, I kind of just feel too much and I can't do anything about them. And that's really bad. And it, but sometimes under stress as a four who they're not, they don't necessarily need to be introverts or anything like that, but usually they are more aware of kind of how they're acting and, and why they're acting in certain ways. And so in a, in a healthy sense, when I'm under stress, I can actually kind of retreat into myself and, and begin to actually do lots of work. Uh, because I'm aware that of what about what I'm feeling, and I'm, I'm aware of why I'm doing certain things, and I can actually focus a lot clearer on that. And so, and sometimes that's just in times of stress. Ones also move kind of in health uh, or in integration towards a seven, actually. So when I hang out with sevens, I just think, wow, this could be me if I was more healthy. <laughs> I, I mean, I John and, and Josh, I see, you know, just. The, the enthusiasm, the like, yeah, let's do it. That's great. And I think, John, your seven comes out in your relentless pursuit of scheduling these podcasts because you just have so much fun uh, doing it. And it's like, yeah, okay. As I've tried to become a, a more healthy one that kind of moves toward the seven, the enthusiasm, I've, I've actually, uh, my wife loves traveling and I, I like traveling too, but it, it scares me a lot because so many things can go wrong and I need to be perfect. And so the air, going to an airport is just like, I show up like five hours early because I don't want to make any mistake. It's awful. It's so bad. It's, it's so annoying, but, it, but I, but I'm aware of it. And so I'm trying to get better. And so oftentimes it's just like, all right, Brittany, you plan a trip. Cause I don't, I can't plan it because it's, it's too much. I, it, I'm not going to, I'll have to find the perfect hotel and the perfect this and and I'll just have her plan the whole thing. And then as part of being healthy, I'm just going to go on it. I don't care, you know, whatever it is, 
we'll just do it. And I want one of these trips that I said, yeah, let's just, you plan it. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Uh, we, we went, uh, a road tripping through, uh, Iceland in November and it was awesome and terrifying at so many points. And my, and my whole emotions like shifted between like, this is the greatest vacation I've ever been on. It's so beautiful. And then other times of like, why did you bring me here? Why you're going to get it? And like our car is breaking down. And it was, and it's just like, there's so much stress and there's so much help. And, and it's just the oscillation between feeling like, you know, seeing my, my personality express itself in so many different ways, just on a short trip um, was a, a very fun uh, experience. Yeah, this dynamic aspect to the Enneagram is so helpful. And I think one of the things that you guys have all been talking about just now is the importance of self-awareness, the importance of mindfulness. So I think one of the things about the Enneagram that we want to keep in mind, and, and I know Josh had spoke on this about how it's a growth tool and a personal formation tool, is that the Enneagram is not about making excuses. Oh, I'm a seven, so I can't handle this, so I don't handle it. It's like, no, no, no. Uh, as a seven, I need to learn how to grow into being able to be the kind of person who can um, address X, Y, or Z in my life and not merely run from it. And that's true for every Enneagram type. As we as we learn about what our sort of unique fears are, being able to not look at that as an excuse and sort of use it as a way to to avoid certain things, but actually trying to learn how to better step into those things that our types might be less interested in pursuing. I think you make a really good point about, and I think everybody's even mentioned that um, the core fears that every that each person has, and there's there's a core fear for each number that is kind of at the root of really who you are and how you're valued by others. And, and that's an interesting place to start if you're trying to figure out your Enneagram number and you're looking at different things, you're like, oh, it could be this or it could be this. And for me, when I was going through all that stuff, I was like, well, I could be a three, I could be this. But seven's core fear is being entrapped, is being a boxed in. And that kind of thing, honestly, just when I think about that, when I think about being trapped or boxed in, ugh, yeah, it just like kills me. And, uh, and then I just, just kick against everything possible to make that not happen in an unhealthy way sometimes. And Brandon, you're even talking about like as a, as a one, your core fear is like not being worthy or not being having not everything perfect, something being unjust. And it's an interesting way that we can kind of look at what's going on around us and then directly step into that fear in a way, in a way that just leads to growth. And yeah, yeah I just love that. I love that aspect of it because it's just so revelatory mm -hmm. of who we are. Yeah, I think I think the the point about fear is really helpful. I think that is a really great way into figuring out what your dominant type might be. So I think if uh, you're learning about the Enneagram for the first time, one of the things that you know, people will say is, oh, take this quiz or, you know, this sort of thing. And I think what's really important is, is actually self-identification, that you can look at the, the types and sort of see something in there, um, in, in the description that, that really kind of uh, strikes a chord with your experience. And I think the fear part is actually the place where that feels most pal palpable. Going back to the point about the one that hurts the most is true. You can just sort of feel uh, when you describe the Enneagram 7's basic fears it's like oh yeah I, I'm feeling I'm feeling the walls close in as you describe that right so I, I very much 
I very much feel that. And I think if you're learning about the Enneagram for the first time, looking at the fears that stand behind a lot of the, the behaviors uh, is a really helpful way to go. Yeah, I, th- I think seeing even an element of my fear um, in the three, I remember being you know, when, I, when I was in seminary and uh, towards the end, I, I didn't do well on, on a paper. And, and, and I, like, I knew the pending doom of the fact that I was going to fail. And like I got there and it was like this visceral experience of failure that came over my life. And I thought everyone in my circle knew that I had failed in some way. And I realized how irrational I had become uh, in that moment. <laughs> it was like a 24 hour period of like internalizing failure and and then also like intermingling that with worth. I'm like, I have done all this work. I, you know, I everybody knows me as as a minister and in uh, my pursuit of the theological studies. And, and here I am on this one paper in my seven years of study that I just did not do well in. And what are people going to think, even though they don't even know that I'm writing this paper right now? It is like this irrationality that was there. And literally the, the next day when I got my grade, and it wasn't the best grade that I, I received because of a number of compounding things that, you know, that were in life, uh, I realized how shallow that was. And how I lost perspective of like God doesn't value me in this in this paper. Uh, there's no identification of who I am. Like I'm not validated by this paper. Uh, and I redid the paper and I did fine. So like why why was I so burdened by this thing and a motivating driving factor of I didn't accomplish it in the way that I wanted to, right? And my perception of like my value and perception that I want to give to people seems fractured, even if they're not aware of it, right? Because I know my image doesn't necessarily reflect uh, what I'm portraying in this moment, even if it's 24 hours, right? <laughs> so even, even those, those elements of like, you have to bring, I think even as we're thinking about um, what to Joshua said, like bringing this before God and saying, okay, this is something that helps me to see elements of my, my personality and how it's framed. Uh, but it also shows me those areas of my own depravity that I need to like get aligned uh, and say like, God, like there is no reason why I should have almost lost my mind uh, because of something that I don't even think about uh, years later. (laughs) It doesn't, it's not worth that. uh, And my worth is more valuable than that. So I think, yeah, aligning that with uh, elements of spiritual formation of it really puts you against a mirror sometimes and it's a helpful tool um, to see, oh, this mirror is not the one I should be looking at, um, and, and it helps to refine um, how we view ourselves. Yeah, I think just following up on that spiritual formation kind of aspect, as the, the Enneagram can be really helpful in uh, helping you understand more about yourself, and, and not just your behaviors, but like we've been talking about, the motivations. Um, so even, even in your kind of example about, you know, you talked a lot about image and how people are perceiving you to be, and I think I could probably experience the same kind of, you know, didn't do so hot on a paper or, or in a class or something. But my motivation or the thing that I'd be thinking about is less about, oh, people are going to, you know, the, the, the image that I or I haven't achieved or I'm, I don't look a certain way. It, it'd be more internalized for myself. It'd be more like I did bad. I was a bad person. I wasn't just, you know, I didn't get a I didn't get the wrong answer on a test. 
I was bad. <laughs> so I think even even in those 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 core motivations and the core fears for each of the types, you know, you might be experiencing the same events, but you're experiencing that event so differently. And I think in in terms of spiritual formation, just to take a kind of a broad approach to it, something like, oh, when you experience, you know, this event, you know, you should be careful about this. You're like, well, actually, you might you know, people are experiencing that event differently from you know, their, their core fears, their core motivations. Maybe there's a lot of like things that are happening in uh, particular childhood experiences. There are certain perceptions of the world and a perce- certain perceptions about God that are kind of fueling the, per- the person's experience with a, a traumatic event or, you know, a more mundane event of not doing so great on a paper. So this has been really helpful. I think a great way for us to kind of conclude our conversation is to hear a bit from from each of you about how you first got into the Enneagram. Who introduced it to you? What was your kind of experience of learning about the types like? Did you think you were another type as you were learning about it? What was that like for all of you? Yeah, uh, I think I first learned about the Enneagram like four or so years ago. Shout out to uh, Maddie Majak, introduced uh, myself to it. Um, yeah, so we were going through uh, uh, this book by Richard Rohr, just called The Enneagram, A Christian's Perspective. And uh, it was really funny because uh, it was a, a number of friends and, and essentially uh, she was just trying to type everyone. And I think I, I got typed as like a four, a seven, a nine, a three, you know, like all, the, all the numbers. And I was like, I don't think this is how you're supposed to do it. But anyways, you, you kind of learn. And so after doing some more research, uh, just kind of online at, at the you know, Enneagram Institute, kind of read through a lot of the descriptions and I, I initially thought I was a two and then kind of doing some more reading on uh, there's a great book called The Road Back to You which is the one I I love and I'd recommend by uh, Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile and it's just great and I think I read it as I I listened to it on audiobook and as I read Suzanne Stabile read uh, the description of a one I think I just like I think I cried I'm pretty confident I just cried I was like how does she know me <laughs> so that, that was kind of my experience. Yeah, for me, I think it was a few years ago, um, a couple friends uh, described to me this thing and I kind of started reading it. And, um, and then also one of my colleagues gave a book to us, uh, wrote back to you, and, and it gave, gave some context to it, right? Um, and I think it was helpful to go, like, oh, there's, there's an element um, which can be spiritually forming that I could, I could bring to the Lord, right. And kind of try to align those things, you know, but um, yeah, I've read a little bit about it and basically just kind of honed in on like three was like basically who I, I, I was and how I manifested myself. I could look back retrospectively and like, Oh yeah, I'm surprised I'm not burnt out. Maybe that's why I have gray hairs. Maybe that's why people think I'm 45 and 32. You know, I've been, I've been pulling hard these past 10 years or whatever it may be. Uh, but that's that's uh, kind of how I got involved, at least in, in learning a little bit about it. You know, and that's still elementary in it. But yeah, that's how I got to that space. Yeah, I first was introduced to it probably in 2013 or so. Um, but the way I was introduced to it was very simplistic. We were, I was at a friend's place and somebody was like, what's your number? And I didn't know what they were talking about. And they just kind of went through each of the nine types with like a one line summary of what each of them were. And because it was so like kind of reductionistic, I didn't have context, I had no idea what we were talking about. When somebody said what the four was, I thought, oh, well, that must be me. Because the way 
it was phrased had to do with kind of being unique or something like that. And the reason why I resonated with it is because personally, I've always really enjoyed being very eclectic. And because of my eclecticism, I'm often complimented by people who say, wow, I can't believe, you know, you're into this and that. That's just like, these are very diverse things. How are you into metal and theology? Like these kinds of things, right? And so I've always appreciated compliments related to eclecticism. And I think I've, I was thinking, oh, okay, the uniqueness is, is maybe sort of that's me being a four or whatever. But of course, as I learned more about the seven, I realized, no, 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 no. This is totally seven stuff to be interested in so many different things, to have a variety of interests and to, to be bouncing from one thing to the next because of wanting to have unique experiences and to sort of not get bored by any one thing, but to kind of have all these various stimuli from many different directions, just thinking that that is actually quite a seven thing. But I would say that I really first properly got introduced to it actually uh, um, a couple years later when I looked into the Enneagram I noticed oh my goodness this sort of feels like it's been describing the past several months you know it's just sort of like feels like it's been observing me and taking notes you know it just felt like you said you said Brandon feels like it knows you right and 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 that's really how i felt too i felt seen uh, and i felt i felt so so much clarity it was like there were so many ahas as i was learning about the seven and how the seven responds to particular situations it was like oh my goodness i was like sort of scrolling back through the past several months wow yeah that's why that happened and that's why that happened and just it, it, it gave me so much language. And so that's really what it was like for me. And ever since then, yeah, I've, I've been a huge fan because I have found it to be so informative and, and clarifying. I first encountered the Enneagram quite a while ago. It was just kind of one of those things in the background uh, as far as other personality tests and things like that, that I just heard of kind of similar to you, John, um, just really quick pithy types, you know, and uh I didn't, I didn't really pay much attention to it, to be honest with you. My deep dive into the Enneagram happened probably three years ago, four years ago, three, yeah, three or four years ago. And it was out of a, really out of a deep dissatisfaction for how people were using personality tests. I've been in the church, I've been in church ministry for a while. I was at ISF at Talbot and, uh, at ISF at Talbot, we tried to integrate a lot of the Myers-Briggs stuff with spiritual disciplines and formation, and it just never really clicked with me because of the way Myers-Briggs uh, measures things. And then coming into the church world and church planting world and seeing all the different things like DISC, uh, Insights and Discovery, Culture Index, all these kind of different things, they were just more labels that were all basically reading the same thing, but it was talking about behaviors. And, uh, and some of them hinted at looking at your motivations, but none of them got in depth. And so the dissatisfaction from watching how people used things like that and how everything was based on behavior modification or acceptance of somebody's behavioral weird patterns that were even unhealthy to some extent. And so as I'm, as I'm dissatisfied sitting in that realm going, ugh, bleh, personality tests you know um i run across i ran across the enneagram when a, a friend of mine said hey here's a book you need to read is by marilyn vansell self to lose self-defined and it's basically 
she takes the Enneagram in, a, in such a really cool way. And she talks about how God speaks into each characteristic or how God speaks into each number, like a message that God has said, like as a seven, I am a person of joy and abundance, not just a spontaneous guy that can't be contained. You know what I mean? And, uh, and in my health, and that, and that was a beautiful thing as I'm working through it and watching not only the type and God's message for the type, but also the way towards growth, uh, like recognizing health, recognizing stresses and disintegration. And, and for me, that jived a lot with what I did with, with ISF, my heart for spiritual formation, my heart for theology, even some of the things I did in my PhD when I was looking at Philo and Paul and, and their understanding experience of divine wisdom and how the Holy Spirit enters into their lives and guides and leads and different things like that. And so finally, for me, there was something that was focusing on digging deeper into the heart and motivations of a person and looking at the core issues, uh, kind of in the Jungian psychology type stuff and, and diving into that shadow self and diving into things that, that we put up as masks and all that fun stuff. And really kind of uh, helping with that internalized battle you find in Romans 7, right? So for me, the Enneagram was one of the things that was clarifying and it was easy, easily clarifying to take and give to people and walk through and help pastor, help spiritually coach, and at the same time, constantly challenge myself to recognize when I'm heading in, in ways of stress and disintegration and help with the whole emotional intelligence and all that fun stuff. So it's kind of this really cool package for me. And it really just depends on the way you use it. Some people use it just as a personality test and that's, that's doing an in-service injustice to the Enneagram is my eight just gets all riled up, right? By my eight wing, because the way it's meant to be is, is something to integrate into your spiritual life. And a few people have done that really well. And Marilyn Bansell is, is one of the best. That's kind of how it ended up with me. And that's why I really bought into it. And I use it the staff with my staff coaching. I use it, my wife and I, and our, our boys. And I love it now in that sense. Yeah, it, it's so helpful. And I, and I love the, the, the way you, you just reminded us that it's, it's not a personality test. It's really a personal formation tool. And I think if we look at it that way, don't use it to box each other in or to box ourselves in, but, but to use it as a, as a tool to be able to, uh, to grow into the person that God is shaping us to be. And so this has been just a very helpful conversation in orienting us to the Enneagram. And obviously it's a very rich personal formation tool as we've described. So we'll have a few more episodes related to this down the pike. And so I just want to thank each of you for being a part of this conversation today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having us. Thanks, John. It's been, it's been really fun talking about this. Look forward to more. If you'd like more engagement of theology, culture, and discipleship from the two cities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. If you like the content that we put out here on the Two Cities podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.